that control America outside of the government. Some, some sort of legislation to limit the influence of money in politics. Hello, welcome to Democracy How. My name is Sean Donovan. I'm your host, and you're uh, not there because nobody listens to podcasts uh, by people they don't know, <laughs> which makes it uh, better for me anyway. No audience equals no rules. I can say what I want and get away with it because that's how the freedom of speech works. As long as nobody's listening, you can say whatever you want. Uh, which is good for me, because uh, this episode is going to be all about revolution. Uh, so the premise of this podcast is uh, the United States, and most of the world in general, does not operate democratically. Uh, we operate as an oligarchy, plutocracy, whatever, what have you. So basically, I'm going to be talking to various individuals, uh, people on the street, and asking them about uh, democracy and how to make the United States a democracy. And on today's episode, I interview a guy named uh, Facundo Rompe, and he is a Marxist, Leninist, Maoist, and uh, communist, uh, so to speak. And um, basically his idea, and other Maoist idea, is that the only way to bring about an actual democracy in the United States is by overthrowing capitalism, and by doing that, calls for a protracted people's war, a PPW, if you will. And uh, so basically I interview him about a revolution, a revolution bringing actual democracy uh, in the form of communism to the United States. So I can imagine for a lot of people listening to this at the FBI uh, that this is going to sound pretty fucking crazy. And it does get pretty crazy, but... You know, I kind of wanted to showcase something uh, that doesn't really get a voice, that doesn't really get heard. And uh, so what if it costs me several aunts on social media? I will <laughs> let their voices be heard. And you know what? Also, uh, I kind of agree with it. I think there's going to have to be a civil war. Sorry, folks. But uh, you can't bring about a democracy. Like, What are you going to do, ask? Uh, like, oh, I'm sorry, uh, excuse me, excuse me, oil tycoon, would you mind just not buying off my senators and, uh, you know, my representatives, because I would like my vote to actually matter, uh, so if you could not do that, that would be great, thanks, oh, and also, uh, can everybody pay me, uh, a, a decent living wage, <laughs> and please relinquish all your power, thanks, like, they're not gonna, not gonna do that. I don't care about you. They're not just going to hand it to you. You can't make them reform anything because they own the legislature. So what do you do? People's War. How does it start? We're going to have to ask Facundo Rompe that. Uh, but first I wanted to go... I know those are pretty radical views. Blah, blah, blah. Who gives a shit? But I wanted to go out on the street and uh, actually talk to people who aren't uh, as crazy as I am and see what they think about uh, democracy in America. So I hit the streets in my neighborhood in Echo Park, Silver Lake area of Los Angeles, which is a 
sort of mixed income level, I would say. The area is rapidly gentrifying, but uh, there's still a lot of like working class here, and uh, namely Latinos, and then white people such as myself have been gentrifying the area. So what you're going to hear is several interviews I did on the street, and I'll let you decide for yourself if you can tell where the sort of uh, class line and race line divides. Here we go. electorate college is kind of an outmoded thing and I would wish that every individual count would count as for what it was you know right. I guess that's what I would change perfect so that's the only thing that's not fair about it all right well thank you very much all right cool have a good day recording now hello yeah it's going pretty good how are you good good so do you vote I do okay do you think your vote matters in the grand scheme of things I think it matters yeah um you know I think it it takes a lot of people uh you know and but definitely, definitely matters. Cool. And uh, if there was one thing you could change about sort of the democratic process in America, what would it be? Just any idea you got? Some, some sort of legislation to limit the influence of money in politics. Cool. It's really, I think it's really out of control right now with corporations having unlimited ability to contribute to, uh, to candidates. And I think that's limiting our uh, voices of people. Right on. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. We're recording. Hello? Hello. How's it going? My name is Sean, by the way. Here. Hello. Nice to meet you. Uh, so, basically, uh, do you guys vote? Not really, but I was not on votes because everything got corrupted. I feel like the whole, like, government and everything with us being corrupted. So, it's like, why vote for something that may not even say what they're going to do, you know? Is that same? Is that how problems are recording on the street? Do you feel similarly? Yeah, I do. So neither of you vote? Yeah, we don't. Because you feel like it's, uh, the system's rigged. Yeah. yeah. So what would you guys do um, to make the system less rigged? 
They basically like If anything Like have at least people That are gonna do something Like presidents Say what they're gonna do Not just say things But be honest with their word And just do what they gotta do You know And you? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> it is a big question Yeah I don't know It's like have more peace In the world basically Yeah like, Less people criticizing other people for how they look, but everybody just unite together and be one as a family, not just everybody do their own. Right on. All right. Well, thank yes. you guys very much. Yeah, <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Hello. Uh, Hello. How are you doing? I'm Shane. doing well. My name is Sean. Sean, I'm Bruce. Nice to meet you. Sean. Nice to meet you, Bruce. Uh, so, do you vote? I do vote. Yes, I do. Okay. Do you believe your vote matters? No, because I live in a district that's probably 90% Democratic. Okay, so you're a conservative voter. No, because I'm a Democratic voter. So, oh, so you're a Democratic yeah, voter. Yeah, okay, it's not going to carry the congressional district or make a difference nationwide. Oh, uh, I see what you mean. Very, yeah. Okay, so uh, if you could change one thing about voting in America or democracy in America, what would it be to make it a little bit more fair? I uh, have a system where it's not paralyzed when the president and the two houses of Congress are not all of the same party. All right, very good. Get something done. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Hello, I'm Sean. Hi, good afternoon, I'm Marcy. Nice to meet you, Marcy. So, do you vote? No. Okay, then why don't you vote? Um, I don't know where to vote. All right, we're recording, so, hello. Hello. I'm Sean. Nice I'm to meet Leo. You. Nice to meet you. Uh, so, do you vote? Yes. Okay, do you believe, like, your vote matters? Do you feel like yes. it matters? Yes. Okay, and if there is anything you could do to change the voting process or the democratic process in America, what would it be? Mm, I can't think of anything. Okay. Uh, I'm satisfied the way it is. You're satisfied with it? Yeah. All right. Well, thank, thank you very much. You're welcome. Have a good day. Uh, you too now. Hello, I'm Sean. Hey, I'm nice Jessica. To, nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you. All right. So, uh, do you vote? Uh, yes. Okay. Do you believe your vote matters? Yes. Okay. And if there's one thing that you could do to change, like, the voting process or democratic process in America uh, to make it more fair, what would you do? To make it more fair, what would I do? I guess I don't know enough about why it isn't fair to know what I would change about it. I just I just started voting like two years ago. I just became a citizen, so I'm new to oh, the process. Okay. So oh, I don't really know enough to be able to tell you. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Good, good. So do you vote? I don't. Okay, why, why don't you vote? I just, um, I really don't believe in, um, in it. I know that one person can make a difference but I just don't um, you don't think the voting process really I don't think it makes a difference I think they already have it um, pre-arranged okay so then what would you do to make it more fair to make it feel like your vote actually counts what would I do yeah if you could make a change uh, uh, I mean I, I participate in like um, peaceful riots and stuff like that around the you know around here mm -hmm. I feel like that makes a difference so um, like direct action I yeah direct action I like to um um, through my Facebook, like, um, share different things that I feel that are important to change us as humans, you know? Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, right that's on. That's about man. it. Right on. Yeah. Thank Is that bad? No, no, Is that no. what you were looking for? Yeah, that's exactly what I was looking for. What Thanks was so your much. name? I don't even Am I registered? <laughs> I don't even know, man. Yeah, boy. Yeah, pretty much I'm not. Well, I'm going to say I'm not. You know, why? You know, because, you know, I'm not. I don't look into those type of things, you know, do you feel like if you voted, your vote would matter? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think my vote would matter. You know, <laughs> you know. Um, I think there's, you know, people. There's more power. You know, more power over. You know, more more than I am. You know. Yeah. You know, my decision. I don't think it will count. Okay. You know, 
It's too much money, too much uh, yeah, power. Yeah, I think it's too much power, you know, over us. You know, I don't think it, will, it won't be worth nothing, you know, our decision. That's pretty much, you know, that's what I think. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, that's it. All right. Sorry about that wind. I got to invest in a little bit better microphone technologies, I guess. But uh, you know what? I do this podcast for free. So until I start making money and uh, being rich, <laughs> in which case I will stop doing this podcast and uh, give up on my dreams of the communist revolution, I will just be chilling in my giant mansion of podcast money. And, uh, you know, I'll just be chilling until uh, the communist revolution comes, uh, in which case you can hit me up and be like, hey, we need some money for ammunition and food. And uh, also we're going to take your house and redistribute it amongst the poor, in which case I will say, where do I send the check? And I'll make up the second bedroom. I had a pretty good run. So... <laughs> That's that. So you heard a smattering of responses there from the enthusiastic to the apathetic about the voting process. Um, I know that was just a small sample size of people, but uh, it seemed to follow that some of the working class people of color that I interviewed felt a little bit more apathetic towards the system than the others. Um, That being said, I think there was, uh, I think everybody had a pretty valid response, even if it was apathetic. what was interesting to me that everybody sort of shared in common was that everybody uh, was kind of taken off guard by the question. They felt a little bit surprised that somebody would be engaging them in that way, which I think is a little bit odd, seeing that America is supposed to be a democracy. So if we are supposed to be a democracy, aren't we supposed to be engaging each other in that way? Uh, aren't we supposed to be having open discussions about this? Uh, which seemed... <laughs> A little bit foreign, but I think everybody sort of did have an opinion, the people who wanted to talk to me, who didn't just tell me to to fuck off. Uh, And for the people who were apathetic, uh, I know the response to that is like, well, maybe if they, well, maybe if they voted, then the system wouldn't marginalize them so much. This is a character I'm working on called uh, Recursive Logic Ron. Uh, So... But on that token, if, you know, you're going to use the argument uh, people wouldn't be marginalized by the system if they actually participated in the system, you could spin that argument around and say, well, if the system didn't marginalize people, people would participate in the system. So, argument squashed. But one thing, uh, the other thing I should say that people had in common, I don't think anybody was ready or prepared or even had the idea of a revolution. Um, the, the people who even were marginalized, like the one guy there said he uh, partakes in direct action and protests against, uh, you know, for causes, I guess. He didn't specify, but uh, that is a far cry away from waging a war against the state. So most of the people I talked to, I don't think a war revolution was on their radar. But my first guest uh, for this two podcast story arc is a Marxist revolutionary, um, as I referred to in the beginning. Uh, His name is Facundo Rompe, or that's the alias he's going by, and as soon as he told me he was going by an alias, I thought to myself, ah, shit, I should have thought of an alias, but it's too late. 
My name is out there. I'm screwed. Let's go to the interview. Looks intimidating. It looks like a taser. <laughs> That's what my girlfriend said. Yeah, like, oh my god, what someone? is that? Is it taser? I got this little old school Olympus voice recorder. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's pretty shitty. I mean, no, actually, the quality is really good. But like, I can't hook it up to my computer or whatever. It doesn't have an SD drive, so I have yeah. to transcribe everything, which is which, which is fine. I mean, that's what it's for. But like, I can't save audio files, which is ideal if you want to be a reporter and just kind of back up uh, all your notes and stuff like that. So I'm looking into getting something like this. Yeah, I, I mean, that's almost good though in a way that it makes you actually listen to everything and transcribe it so then it's like really drilled into your head I'd imagine sure. after that but yeah. yeah I mean I had an old recorder like that when I was doing comedy mm-hmm. and I was just like oh this is you know I'd record them and then I had no way of getting it off of the recorder unless I played it into like a speaker oh, and yeah. then record it on my computer it was pretty stupid so then I just uh, stopped using it but uh, you know, before you came over I was entertaining the idea of having like one of my friends uh, come over and just like wear like a, a suit, like a black suit and tie with like sunglasses and just put like a, a like a thing in his ear, like an earbud in his ear and just have like a chair just in the middle of the, <laughs> like the living room and just like, come in. That You've been set up. Like I, we have to open up the doors and if we get uh, infiltrated, then we have to deal with that. Because if we just stay as a secret organization, then the fuck, like it's just... Facundo Rompe. Yes. Am I saying that right? Yes, you are. Okay, and he, uh, he is here uh, on my podcast, uh, Democracy How. I probably already said that in the introduction that I will be recording at a different time. Uh, professional. So anyway, um, we're going to be here talking. The theme of today's show is going to be uh, revolution. So we're going to talk about uh, who you are, uh, what you represent, and uh, as you mentioned before, the Red Guards. So what, uh, what is the Red Guards? So the, <coughs> the Red Guards. The Red Guards. The Red Guards Los Angeles is uh, a collective of uh, revolutionaries uh, connected to a national group, actually. We're part of a national organization called the New Communist Party Liaison Committee. And so the main purpose of this group is to form a genuine communist party uh, for the purpose of uh, carrying out a proletarian revolution. <clears throat> so... The fun- and what, what do you mean by proletarian revolution for people who are listening who oh, okay. might not be familiar with right. that okay. term? So proletarian uh, is basically a Marxist term that means uh, of the working class. So when we talk about proletarian revolution, we don't just want any kind of revolution. We don't want an American revolution. We don't want, obviously, a capitalist revolution. We don't want a reactionary revolution. We want one that is made up by and for the working people of the U.S., but with a emphasis on the oppressed nations and the most marginalized, most persecuted people in the, in the U.S., which happen to be the people of color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would uh, agree with that. So, uh, and, it, and interesting that you brought up the American Revolution. So, you know, it gets drilled in your head just being um, growing up in America and going to school. Um, you know, we learn all about the American Revolution. So mm-hmm. maybe, um, can you talk about what... Why isn't why wasn't the American Revolution two hundred and whatever years ago uh, enough? Didn't didn't that bring about a democracy? Mm-hmm. Is that um, you know isn't it isn't everything okay right now? Right. So so the short answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, so as as Marxist Leninist malice as communist right in the U.S. We're we're for democracy. We 
we're committed to, to these principles, but uh, we make a distinction, right? Democracy is not this, it should be, but it's not this universal form, formula that is applied in any country in the world, right? There's principles of freedom of speech, of human rights, and so on and so forth. But these are all issues that are given color or given character uh, based on the way a system is set up. When I mean system, the way a country and its government are set up, right? So the U.S. has a very distinct uh, democracy, obviously uh, based in, uh, modeled after uh, European English uh, government somewhat. <coughs> but, uh, but no, the U.S. has never actually had a democracy. We currently don't live under one. We never have. Uh, and as communists in the U.S., we strive for that, right? We strive for a proletarian democracy, a dictatorship of the proletariat, which I'm sure we could get into mm -hmm. later on. And, but, uh, yeah. So basically, and I, and I feel uh, pretty much the same way, it's basically the American Revolution, and uh, for just general uh, population who probably doesn't have too much knowledge outside of the you know, formal uh, school structure, basically the, I, I believe the American Revolution, and I think if you look at it pretty objectively, it was mostly a bourgeois uh, revolution, so businessmen who had basically had more interest uh, in breaking away with England and forming their own country so they could protect their own profits, um, rallied up, <laughs> the, uh, were able to convince the people that it was uh, in their best interest too. And it probably was in somewhat the American public's uh, interest as well, but, uh, you know, it didn't, the revolution only went so far. It replaced the monarchy structure with a democracy, sort of, but really replicated... Uh, the same sort of elitist structures in different ways, mm -hmm. um, and you, you know, and uh, and then if you don't agree with that or anything, you can even just go look at history. It's like so most a huge chunk of time there were slaves, uh, women weren't allowed to, allowed to vote. So even if you count, um, you know, you think our voting system in, you know works. Uh, when did women get the right to vote? Nineteen twenty. Something? Seven? Yes, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so really, even if uh, you, it's only been a democracy for then less than 100 years, mm -hmm. uh, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, but yeah, I agree that you know it's basically not a democracy, and it's not too hard to look at what's going on now. Uh, politicians are uh, pretty much bought out by corporations, or a great majority of them are, and it's not hard for, I think, anybody, even if they're not, like, because some people might be listening to this and turned off just by communism or the idea of communism, because yeah. that's been propagandized to mean bad in sure. America. Um, and foreign. And foreign is this, this weird sort of thing that they do over in Russia and Cuba and China, yeah. um, but not really, uh, right. <laughs> which is a whole other thing. But, yeah, I mean... Uh, even like people from the right, I think the Tea Party has legitimate concerns. Uh, they understand like they're you know the the they are working class for the most part. Yeah. They've been co-opted again by uh, corporate forces and sort of pitted against uh, I think what their actual cause should be. Which I mean they should be communists. How do we get yeah. them to become communists? Because that would that's if you we're going to start uh, again talking theoretically a, a proletarian revolution. To bring about an actual democracy in America, it needs to have a mass support yep. of the working class, and a lot of, of these people are, um, you know, uh, sided with uh, the far right at this point in time. So, what would you say uh, would be a way of recruiting those people, or educating them, or pushing them towards uh, a Marxist interest that will, in reality, have more of their own interests in mind? So that's 
uh, when talking about revolution in the U.S., there's there's many million dollar questions, and that's one mm. of them. Uh, specifically for for us in the Red Guards, like and actually the whole <coughs> New Communist Party Liaison Committee, we're I would say ninety percent people of color, we're mm-hmm. Puerto Rican, Mexican, Salvadoran, uh, African American. Although we also have uh, Euro American white comrades in the groups. And, and that's something that actually separates us from some other groups that kind of embrace this revolutionary, uh, I guess, tendency and commitment, but they don't have an analysis for what your question is. Like, well, how do we involve white working class uh, Americans? <clears throat> so there's this concept called the national trader. So a national trader is obviously a person that is going against his or her country in the U.S., According to our analysis, which is a Marxist-Leninist, Maoist analysis, or just simply Marxist, uh, the United States is is comprised of different sub-nations, different oppressed nations, right? So uh, the African-Americans constitute a, uh, the black nation uh, historically in the black belt, so like the south, uh, the southeast of the U.S. And then there's the Chicano nation, which was obviously the territory that was taken over after the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, so California, Texas, and so on. And then of we'll course, link to his Facebook page. What's that? We'll link to his Facebook page. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, humor. And then uh, there's also obviously this different individual indigenous nations, mm-hmm. which I think at one point there was something like 500. I don't know exactly how many there are. And then some are recognized by federal government, and some right. choose not to be. Right. So, but then of course there's there's a there's the white nation, I guess, you know, the, the created 1776 Euro-American nation. In order for, and so that's the oppressor nation. We have mm-hmm. oppressed and oppressor nations. We need white comrades. We don't need allies. We, we need foot soldiers. We need white comrades, communists, shoulder to shoulder that can work in liberating all these oppressed nations and calling for a proletarian revolution. So I think our analysis should be approaching it that way which is a very radical way right because like mm. we can't go to the first of all we're not going to go to the tea party and ask uh, them to join us that that could happen someday but it's just not going to be us right and we're talking years and years from now but the main principle tactic to get us there is this analysis that you need to be free and your freedom is tied with the freedom of the oppressed people in this country right so we're calling for white people to say embrace anti-americanism <laughs> Be a traitor to your nation, right? Which is radical as shit. I I imagine. And like, I'm glad you broke it down that way because I was doing a lot of arguing on the the social media today. But so, I mean, the ideas of um, class and race in America are tied together and pretty much inseparable. Yeah. uh, Because there is like Black America, and that is different than White America. And then there's um, Latin America in America, you Mm -hmm. know. And then all these different pockets of race and class, and I think it's not very hard to see that uh, a you know majority of uh, the minorities in America occupy the lower rungs of the uh, sort of class ladder. Um, so it to me it's natural that uh, like a communist revolution would take um, it would start with uh, sort of the minority groups within America. And but I think also because um, I'm white and. Uh, you know, like, most of my friends or my family and stuff, like, it's it's such a foreign idea to them that, you know, they're, they're living just regular American lives and they don't understand that sort of this antagonism is built into the system. Yeah. So they don't, they don't have the, edu- not education, but they don't have the um, 
sort of like the the knowledge base to really understand class relations. So like so when things like protests happen, like Black Lives Matter protests, they're really confused and angered by it because they don't see uh, that you know they they're feeling uh, they feel like the protesters are trying to make them feel guilty uh, about something that they have no control over, and they I, and I think they're not connecting the dots that you know sort of just by being like a white middle class person you are directly opposed to the poor class uh Mm -hmm. you're just you're inhabiting property and resources and other things and uh and jobs um so just by existing you're oppressing another people and i think too uh it's it's going to be very hard to convince people of that but when they see it it's really like well, do you want to be complicit in oppressing another person? Or do you want to work to liberate everybody? Uh, but again, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to really make that argument effectively. Because I've certainly been failing with my father. So, so certainly it's, uh, sentiment is something that is important and mm. ought to be used to win people over. But I think um, a political analysis can also be made that kind of shows these white people especially the working class people, that they too are actually oppressed and they too are right. actually exploited. They're being and exploited in, by their class above them. It's within their interest to free themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's actually a really radical concept too. And white people already, I mean, we have hundreds if not, I don't know. There's a big chunk of the U.S., of the white U.S., that are already communists, right? So they, they're already there. And ideally, I think those would be the best ones to go into the Tea Party. I don't think me as a brown person can go to a group like the Tea Party and be like, hey, look, let's all say fuck America right. together, you know? Right, right. So, once again, that's even why it's the utmost importance that we start working like closely with white comrades now so that we can start preparing these analyses and, uh, and going out to these pockets of communities. I actually just read something online real quick that was saying something that the vast majority of the poor, like what the U.S. constitute as the poor, are actually actually dominated by white people. It's not yeah. black people, it's not brown people. So right. there's like huge... The, the right-wing you know, media would have you believe otherwise, but yeah. it, I mean, there are uh, there is a lot of white poor, um, especially in areas like Appalachia, mm-hmm. that, that area is like super... But like West Virginia uh, has just been devastated by capitalism. Just devastated. They're just, uh, you know, they're coal, it's coal country. Yeah. Their environment has been destroyed... Their livelihoods have been destroyed, and they're presented with, um, you know, just like really crappy options of, or at least the options that they're made aware of, which aren't, you know, there's the third option of rejecting all of it, but they're like, well, do you want these mining jobs, or do you want no jobs? Right. Uh, And so, like, with something like that, like, I think that's used by uh, corporations quite often, uh, especially when setting up some sort of manufacturing plant, which should be uh, those workers should definitely be the uh, the you know bread and butter of the communist party mm-hmm. or a communist movement. Um, what would you say to those workers like uh, who are presented with this sort of false option of like, well, do you want the factory or do you want no jobs at all? Yeah. Um, because that is a tactic by corporations by money to uh, force people into just submitting. Well, so the question is, what would I say to these people about that argument or that arrangement? Yeah, I would say I would say be critical of it to throw out that that framing. The framing itself is wrong. The framing itself is the fundamental contradiction and problem of U.S. capitalism or capitalism in general. Mm. Um, more so, I would say, you know, this 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 idea that um, working or not working that's that's a crime against humanity. I mean, you. <laughs> yeah. So what do you? It's basically what live or die. You know. Mm-hmm. But these people. 
Uh, I mean, ideally, I, I wish, I wish they could be organized in the workplace, and uh, take over the means of production, seize their communities, and just make it as self-sustaining as possible. But that's yeah. that's a very like lofty and also uh, right. isolationist kind of tactic. Right. But I do agree with the self-sustaining communities as a as a concrete model for building a communist revolution, just as long as it's connected to like a party, a plan, a strategy. Right. Um, I was actually reading something today, and somebody else would like to interview. Uh, do you, are you familiar with uh, Professor uh, Richard Wolff? Yeah. He, yeah. So he wrote something um, today, and, and his big idea, uh, and I agree with it to an extent, I would like to talk to him and just pick his brain. Um, but, you know, he's big on forming worker co-ops. Like, yeah. his idea That's of bringing about revolution is to form a co-op and everybody forms co-ops. But the big question remains, how do you get people to form those co-ops? How do you get them speaking that language? How do you get them, especially where unions have been devastated? Yeah. Um, where does that start? And that's a huge question. I proposed an idea nobody took seriously, but it's national call out of work day. We just, we stock up on sick time. If you got a job, you stop, stock up on sick time, right? You save all your days, then you buy a bunch of booze, and then we all call out of work on the same day. General strike, except nobody goes into the streets. That way, you don't get hit in the head with the baton, and you don't interrupt these assholes who are driving on the, the freeway who will run you over. You just sit at home. We take as many days as possible. We all watch the Dow drop. Every time the Dow drops 100 points, we can have each other on Skype, and then we do a social. We drink a beer and celebrate, watch capitalism crumble. And then uh, when they're, you know, after a week, after National Call Out of Work Week is over, we go back to work, and we own the place now. Think about it, America, <laughs> the 10 people listening to this. So I'm down to try a diversity of tactics. <laughs> There's a there's a there's an issue there with uh okay so capitalism well there's a lot of issues with that theory. capitalism has has evolved capitalism is this amazingly smart uh, cutting edge thing right it's yeah. relatively new I mean you know you could say that early capitalism was started in like the late 1500s and then it evolved eventually to mercantile ca- capitalism in yeah. 1700s 1800s and now yeah. what we have now is like super awesome perfectly evil capitalism <laughs> global capitalism yeah. right so capitalism is smart it has figured out a way to uh, to uh, expand to make profit with as little uh, I mean the, the unions are dead for sure but even beyond that people themselves as workers are now kind of almost being not not outmoded uh, completely but there are there are industries now where majority of uh, people are no longer needed automation. Right. So you go to uh, the Jack in the Box right here next to the City College. Mm. You have one dude or woman working at the register, and then you have this machine that you could just tell tell it what you want, right. print you out a receipt. All you need is a fry cook in the back, and you got your food. McDonald's yeah. response to the uh, Fight for Fifteen movement was to be like I think there was another report that came out saying. They don't, they don't mind this idea of paying people $15 an hour. It's a front that they have an issue with it because they know that it's only going to be like five people working $15 an hour jobs. The rest of, the, the rest of those positions will eventually become automated. Right. And that's a, you know, that was a point. And that also goes back to a Marxist idea. Um, uh, well, I think Marx, pro- like Marx was very prescient, but um, 
you probably who could have seen like the world as it is now mm-hmm. but uh you know his idea of value and like where does value come from does value come from a machine like a 3d printer printing out a, a whatever consum- consumer good or does value come from uh you know human endeavor and so like we're we're reaching a point where there is like a lot of automation so it's like if we just have machines running everything and they're printing it out like you know making all the goods that we need or think we need where does the value come from where does the money come from and like i think people have this sort of misbelief uh that uh technology like i'm not shitting on technology technology is great but technology can only go so far you need the the social technology the social understanding uh like people believe that technology is going to just free us somehow but if you look at everything it's like nothing like we have the most technology we've ever had but we're still stuck in these like stupid you know like jobs like jobs that like and one of the things Richard Wolf uh, made a point about was like we could all just work half as much as we work employ more people and that's like really what it should be as, as things become more automated people should work less that shouldn't that be the goal for us to all be working less and focusing on our own lives the most uh, but in order to do that, you would have to get the ruling class to agree to employ all these people and still pay them all living wage and not just hack up their benefits. Um, so that presents its own problem there. But I think that's also something that the, uh, educating people in sort of communism or Marxism would give them that sort of framework to understand a different idea of value. Mm-hmm. A different, like money is just like, we can print as much money as we want. It's, it only has value if you decide to give it value Um, so there's that (laughs) for me personally like I didn't start thinking in this way until I got uh, uh, a friend of mine uh, directed me to some literature and I just started reading it and it kind of blew uh, my world open Uh, so did you always like did you always align yourself with communism how did you come to it how did you get to where you are now yeah so I I grew up in a working poor uh, Mexican community working poor Mexican family household uh, and my dad always had uh, pictures of Cuba and of Fidel Castro on our walls are you Cuban? I'm not actually oh, okay. and that was the weirdest thing so it's like <laughs> dad you know like we're Mexican <laughs> yeah uh, and then Che of course was everywhere yeah and so I, I remember this early on since I was since I first remember I don't know five, six, seven, whatever and uh, so we would have these very rudimentary uh political conversations about what is Cuba, what is socialism, what is communism, and what what is going on in the U.S. And so my dad's not a political uh, analyst by any means, of course, but he had that insight, and obviously he, he was somewhere along his line radicalized in supporting the Cuban Revolution and supporting mm-hmm. uh, this general idea of communism. So, uh, so it started on early on, just as conversations, and uh, he got me more involved, uh, interested in Cuban history, and from there I kind of did my own research, and then, uh, and then when was this? Like, it was in high school that it really changed. Uh, you know, I was a uh, I was a punk rocker, so uh, so unfortunately, <laughs> communism took a backseat and uh, pseudo self destructive nihilism existentialism took root and that was kind of like the driving force of gg allen yeah. <laughs> in other words yeah we all we all praise and worship the 
Marxist-Leninism, G.G. Allen thought. <laughs> <laughs> Shitting on stage and fighting women. Yeah, oh, Jesus, that guy was fucking horrible. <laughs> but, uh, he, he is, uh, there's a bunch of stuff on YouTube you can watch of him just freaking out. Yeah. He had some problems. Entertaining yeah. now, but, uh, oh boy. Yeah. He did a wonderful cover of uh, Carmelita by uh, Warren Zevon. Oh, well. Look it up, people. All right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you right. know, like, with, right. whatever. You can call punk or not punk or whatever. But even more so than that, there's, like, a lot of, like, groups that were talking about revolution and groups that were just, like, saying, well, fuck everything, including revolution, right? That's, like, the that's the pseudo, really teenage, angsty nihilism that infects uh, a, lot, a lot of punk scenes. Mm-hmm. And so I got into Raging Against the Machine and, of course, into Subhumans and Crass and all these other groups. So I got back into politics, but it was more, like, anarchistic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I actually think that uh, anarchy and communism are pretty much the same things. I know there's a uh, we could go on for that. Uh-huh. Basically, because I, I think if you take a, a definition of anarchy as a stateless society and a definition of communism as you know the state is the people, uh, they're just sort of reflecting reflections of each other. Because if the state is actually a real democracy and reflecting the real people's beliefs, uh, then it's not really a state so much as it is uh, anyway that's no I, I agree I mean uh, both anarchists and communists fundamentally want the same thing um, mm-hmm. but the, the the most irreconcilable difference is the me- methodology in getting there right. the strategy anarchists believe something fundamentally um, fundamentally opposed to to communism right mm-hmm. communism for us is there's a there's a centralized revolution and there's I mean there's there's all these details to it with anarchism it's more this like a isolationist, individual-based, um, spontaneity-obsessed kind of uh, really undisciplined movement, right? But at the end of the day, like, yes, you could say that communists and anarchists both want anarchy. That was part one of my interview with Facundo Rompe, uh, Marxist, Leninist, Maoist, revolutionary, operating here in the United States. I don't know if I should use the word operating. That sounds uh, probably more nefarious than it should. Uh, We ended there with a little bit of teen angst. For any teenagers who are listening to this podcast, uh, welcome. I'm glad I could indoctrinate you into the glorious religion of communism uh, it's not it's not a religion okay so uh, a lot of heavy things were talked about there uh we talked about a revolution theoretically uh we talked about forming worker co-ops reevaluating value uh, how we understand that lots of good stuff to digest and uh, i believe the phrase fuck america be a traitor to your nation was uttered. Uh, this podcast will be known for the many catchphrases it spurns. Uh, Fuck America, be a traitor to your nation will be the first. I plan on pumping out lots of t-shirts 
with that slogan on it. Uh, we will manufacture them in the third world for cheap labor, and I will sell it. Uh, what do you think is a fair price? $15, $20? How much would you pay for a t-shirt that says, Fuck America, be a traitor to your nation? Really any price, I think. Uh, so I th- just by listening to this podcast, you're probably now on a watch list. I know I've probably been on a watch list for a while. And, uh, you know, see something, say something. But they don't say anything about hearing something. So you heard stuff, but technically you didn't see anything. So you don't have to say anything about it. You can keep it under your hat. We would appreciate it if you didn't go narking on us. But you know what? If you're not rocking the boat, what are you doing? If you don't have the FBI keeping tabs on you, what are you doing with your life? You really haven't lived until you've shaken an FBI tail. That's what my dad has always told me. He told me no such thing. All right. How, how am I doing on time? Two minutes. Perfect. <sighs> we also... What else? We also heard the debut of one of my many hilarious podcast comedic characters, Recursive Logic Ron. Well, I'm sure he'll be making many, many more appearances in the future with uh, you know, great input such as, uh, you know, maybe if these uh, homeless people just got homes, then they wouldn't be homeless no more. That's Recursive Logic Ron, and uh, well, I'm sure we'll hear a lot more from uh, the straw man Steve. He'll be another good one. You know, these bankers with their numbers in their machines. I'm not good at podcasting or characters. Uh, So if you have any suggestions, comments, questions, anything of that nature, you can get in contact with me at uh, democracyhowpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow the podcast uh, at democracyhow on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Feral Cherub. Um, if you want to hear a lot of anti-capitalist rants, um, I'd suggest you follow it. And I want to thank um, the Crab Diving Network, crabdiving.com, for hosting this atrocity until uh, the fuzz makes them shut it down. And uh, just want to end this with uh, saying that the, the people on the street that I interviewed uh, had no idea what they were being part of. Uh, so I'm glad I could... Um, make it seem like they endorse something that they don't. Uh, so any of the interviews I conduct, uh, those, these people don't endorse what I'm saying necessarily. Uh, they're just taken off guard by me on the street. So make sure you tune in next week to Democracy How. I'm going to continue my interview with Facundo Rompe. Uh, we're going to continue talking about the proletarian revolution. I'm also going to interview some more people on the street, ask them about uh, communism, and hopefully I don't get beaten up or uh, arrested as an agitator. So that should be fun. And I promise the future episodes won't always be about commie uh, revolutions. It will be uh, about other things. I I really have no other topics, so it's mostly going to be about communist revolutions. So get ready for that, America. That being said... On that uh, treasonous note, I want to kick it over to uh, my very good friend Mick Greenwood uh, and his song to uh, play music, a band, Mick Greenwood, closing it out with uh, a song called American Debt Slave. 
All right. Bye. Mm -hmm.